0: Hi, friend. This is Doug Pratt, and I'm pleased to welcome you to part two of our discussion of the blunders of the secular mind, in which we will look at several more of the common mental mistakes made by many people in the modern 20th and 21st century world that have caused massive problems for our society and millions of people in it. Smart people have blundered. A blunder is an unforced error, usually made by failing to take advantage of information available. I blunder, for example, if I do not check the fuel gauge in the car I'm driving and I run out of gas and stall. A blunder is different from an accident, something that could not have been avoided, such as driving over a nail on the highway and getting a flat tire. In every one of the issues we are talking about, I believe the core blunder or mistake has been caused by people failing to read and understand the Bible and what God has revealed. Especially about the nature of the human race. The deeply ruinous pride of smart people who think they know better than God and can solve our problems without His help is what often leads to tragic mistakes. The second cause of blunders, in addition to pride, is groupthink, an unwillingness to step out of the consensus of the inner circle or influential people and see things objectively and independently. In this short series, wherein I have just a few minutes of your precious time, I am simply touching on the key areas where Christians in the modern world need to be alert and on guard. Others, brilliant scholars and careful students, have plunged into the depths of each of these issues, and I have been blessed by many books, articles, and podcasts from Christian thinkers, who have pondered well and logically and deeply. They have informed me, and you may wish to do your own more careful study of one or more of the topics that I am raising, but my purpose is to skim the surface of the water and point out where the significant waves and turbulence are. So we now pick it up with what I believe to be the fourth blunder of the secular mind, which I will call the fallacy of social engineering. Idealistic and often well-meaning reformers have at various times attempted to hijack an institution and redirect it to achieve social or political aims that are peripheral to that institution's primary purpose. In the process, the focus of the institution and its effectiveness at fulfilling its mission can be dramatically weakened and compromised. Example 1 the U.S. military. The single-minded focus of a nation's armed forces should be to carry out the mission of the country for the security and protection of its citizens. But gender equality advocates and other social engineers in prioritizing social aims over the effectiveness of fighting units can weaken the military. Example two, higher education. When quotas for admission based on social, racial, and ethnic criteria are substituted for academic aptitude and potential, the unintended consequence can be students that are not capable of the required scholastic rigor. And the secondary effect can be that grading standards are lowered. The long-term result is that the educational quality suffers and the value of a degree is cheapened. Another recent trend in colleges and universities, driven often by radical students and faculty putting pressure on administrations, is the protection mandated from ideas that influential groups may not like. The consequences are that students are shielded from perspectives other than the ones approved by the dominant party, and thus are not equipped to think clearly or reason well. It's ironic that schools once founded on principles of free speech and the open exchange of thought become centers of indoctrination and groupthink. A common blunder of humans is assuming that education or legislation alone can solve the problems of mankind, but teaching the mind does not automatically change the human heart. Strictures and rules of behavior can be enforced and misbehavior can be punished But outward conformity to avoid consequences does not transform the person within. This is why the Christian gospel has had a greater impact on the world than the force of totalitarian governments. It is the Holy Spirit who alone can make us new and cause us to want to do what is good and have the power to resist temptations and choose virtues. A further reflection of the fallacy of social engineering, that is, top-down attempts to change human nature and behavior, is the effort to rewrite the past to fit present preferences or prejudices. History, by its nature as a completed past, is not fungible or malleable. What happened really happened, even if we prefer to ignore it or prevent the next generation from knowing it, the real events of the past had real consequences. Rather than teaching history accurately and enabling people to draw their own conclusions, trying to stifle knowledge or twist the past will only backfire ultimately. People will discover they have been lied to or manipulated, just as the citizens of Russia discovered when the communist regime collapsed and the truths of their nation's tyranny ultimately came to light. Number five in our review of the blunders of the secular mind is what I'll call the gender-optional fallacy. God made human beings with only two genders. The simple binary logic of the chromosomes does not lie. At conception, we were given one or two X chromosomes, dictating who we would be and how we would grow. Gender confusion and dysphoria, encouraged and even taught by some teachers and psychologists to impressionable youth, are psychological conditions resulting from emotional wounds and perhaps even some biological alterations in the genes, but they are not prevailing physiological realities. They require compassion, counseling, and support, not As a first and immediate solution, reproductive organ surgeries and artificial hormones. We rightly empathize with those who struggle in deep ways with their identity, but the offered solutions may not heal the deepest wounds. The effects of the fall of man, the biblical doctrine of the corrupting stain of sin, have been manifested in many ways in our sexuality. People who struggle not only with gender identity but also with same-gender attractions are experiencing the pain of sin, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and I am convinced that what generations of Christians have understood to be the best path for those struggling in the sexual area, namely to obey God's word by living either in a faithful marriage or in celibacy, is the best way to inner peace. The secular world, warped by the sexual revolution of the 20th century, claims a right for all people to express their sexuality in any way they wish. It is even claimed that sex is a biological need akin to eating, drinking, and breathing, but clearly it's not. It is a choice, a behavior that is controlled by the will rather than a biological necessity such as breathing that is controlled by our unconscious automatic portion of our brain. Gaining mastery over our wishes and desires comes from surrendering our lives to Christ's control and allowing him to lead us. Traditional gender roles of male dominance and female submission have often been distorted and corrupted by sin, and some cultures have enthroned those roles as absolutes. Women have often been treated unjustly. The pendulum in the modern world has recently been pushed away from male dominance, with many good results in liberating women to full equality and full opportunities to develop their God-given potential, but this change has also resulted in a great deal of turbulence and uncertainty in relationships between men and women. Our society is struggling to find the right path in unknown territory. Some social scientists have identified a crisis of male identity and roles. Others have pointed out the inner struggles many women have in balancing their feminine impulses, home, family, nurturing, with social and career pressures. A denial of the biological and psychological differences between men and women has caused a lot of confusion for young people. God made us male and female not just for the process of human procreation, but to complement one another. Number six the kids-will-be-fine fallacy. Divorce, out-of-wedlock birth, single parenting, and cohabiting without a mutual commitment or marriage are all at a historic highs in Western societies. This dramatic reversal of the underlying family structure has produced psychological and social consequences that are destructive, especially in communities where those lifestyles are dominant. Every researcher who is objective and open-minded has confirmed the following consequences. Crime, especially among boys and young men who are without fathers in their homes as positive role models of responsibility, commitment, hard work, and discipline. Poverty, with single parents, most often mothers, nearly always on the lower end of the economic spectrum no matter how hard they work or what their educational level is lower educational performance with disengaged parents and higher incidence of dropouts, and a repeating cycle with generation after generation locked in patterns that become harder and harder to break in spite of massive infusions of government aid and government programs. The bottom line is that the destruction of the biblical model of marriage has left many victims— But the greatest negative consequences have been on children. What God's Word has prescribed, namely one man and one woman committed and faithful for life or chastity and singleness, is not a cruel straitjacket to spoil human enjoyment of life. It is rather the most loving and powerful prescription for the good of individuals and societies. Number seven, The fallacy of simplistic judgment. In a polarized world, simplistic judgment, especially in journalism and in politics, keeps us from seeing and understanding human beings as they really are in all their complexity. The biblical portrayal of our race is that we are both made in the image of our Creator, with the capacity to make free moral choices of virtue and goodness that reflect God's character, and yet, corrupted by sin and the equal capacity to choose disobedience and vice. Is mankind basically good or bad? We are both, and every single person, except Jesus, who was God incarnate, has exhibited both virtuous and evil behaviors. The greatest saints in history uniformly confess themselves to be imperfect sinners, but it is also possible to find some good and even, even the seemingly worst villains. A blunder of modern humanism is its unwillingness to accept what scripture says about this dual nature of human beings. As a result, a common mistake is repeated, branding certain people as all good and heroes to our preferred cause, thereby requiring that the evidence of their imperfections be ignored or expunged, And branding others as all bad and worthy of disrespect because they do not represent our cause. There are two contemporary examples triggered by the protests and riots that erupted across America in the summer of 2020. The radical political left led campaigns to remove statues and names of revolutionary and Civil War figures and others who were judged to be racists or not in keeping with their values. The attacks were not only against the memory of General Robert E. Lee, Confederate general, but also against Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, who owned slaves, and against Woodrow Wilson, who was alleged to have racist opinions, and against Christopher Columbus for the alleged crime of racist behavior towards Caribbean natives, and even Benjamin Franklin, I'm not sure what his alleged crime was, except in being a founding father of the American Constitution. The implication was that these people were all totally evil and worthy of nothing but rejection. And yet those individuals all demonstrated certain admirable qualities worthy of our emulation. Lee was a beloved leader of his soldiers, whether or not his cause was right. Jefferson was a visionary of democracy and human rights. Washington was an uncorrupted pillar of strength for a new nation. Wilson was an advocate for world peace, and so on. At the same time in our nation, the man who was tragically and unjustly killed in police custody in Minnesota named George Floyd was lifted up as a virtuous saint even though his life had been a checkered record of both good and bad behavior, and he was apparently high on drugs at the time of his arrest. Protesters of racial injustice also regularly held up Dr. Martin Luther King as their hero and martyr. He was indeed a truly courageous advocate for justice. But King, a mortal man, also had deep flaws in his behavior relating to alcoholism, marital infidelity, and sexual abuse of women. But those flaws are ignored by most journalists, historians, and politicians because of the fallacy that a hero Must be unblemished. A proper biblical understanding of mankind will recognize that everyone has the potential for virtue and vice, and that we can celebrate the good and noble qualities in others without having to deny their imperfections. The same principle should hold in our political divisions. We may disagree with one another, with a person who has different convictions and policies than ours. But when we demonize them, we fall into the same dangerous blunder. Number eight, the fallacy of worshiping science. During the height of the coronavirus lockdown in the spring of 2020, I saw a television commercial for a pharmaceutical company. Its narrative went something like this. In a time of great uncertainty, there is just one thing we can put our confidence in. Science. Obviously, the ad was intended to make people feel confident in the drugs their researchers were developing, but the not so subtle message to me as a believer is that the secular world is in danger of falling into another blunder that of worshiping science as an idol. Perhaps someone will soon propose in Congress that we replace the motto on our money with, In science we trust. The reality is that this new idol is as unworthy of our worship and reverence as any ancient statue from the pagan world. There are three logical reasons why science is not the ultimate solution to all our human needs and hopes. First, because silence is not actually a thing, but just a process— Secondly, because scientists are fallible human beings with limited knowledge. And third, because scientific consensus on every issue is in constant flux. Actually, scientific consensus should be in constant change because the essence of the scientific method is to be always open to new information, data, and insights. How many countless times... Have scientists announced a conclusion that later proved to be inaccurate based on newer data or discoveries? There is also a spiritual reason why we do not bow before the altar of science. Nothing material or natural will last forever. Even our human lives themselves are finite. If sometime in the future, medical researchers could claim to be able to cure every virus, and cure every cancer, yet we would still be mortal creatures whose earthly bodies will wear out one day. Our ultimate trust and devotion should be reserved for the one who is beyond this life and is our eternal heavenly Father. That's why God proclaims in Isaiah 42, I will not yield my praise to idols because they are not worthy of our worship. Only he is. I hope this series has been thought-provoking and stimulating to you. My guess is that you do not agree with me on everything I've talked about, and that's fine. My intention is not at all to impose ideas or a groupthink on you. Rather, it has been to invite dialogue and consideration. Instead of simply adopting and conforming uncritically to the thought patterns and values of the people around us, God is calling Christians in the 21st century to be different. I will leave you with this charge. In the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 2, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. May you be able more and more, to recognize the blunders in the way secular minds think and to let your mind be transformed by God and his word.